Hello, everyone. Thanks for being here today. My name is Kelly Tatham. I'm your host. And today we have a very special guest, Kia Zarabi. Kia is an engineer and an artist, as well as an organizer uh, doing arts events and also political events. He last weekend was part of a team who put on the one year anniversary rally for Massa Amini, who was killed on September 16th by the Iranian regime for not wearing a hijab. Kia, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your time with us. Yeah, thanks for having me and thanks for your your interest in um, yeah, and wanting to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I I wanted to get your perspective and talk about a few talk about what's really going on at the ground, but also talk about the bigger picture and help people understand a bit more of the history because we see these things reported in the news, but there's unfortunately a lot of uh, horrifying things happening in the world. And so it's hard for us to focus in sometimes and really tangibly understand what's going on and, and what it means to us and how we can how we can move forward together as a global community to to right these wrongs. And so I wanted to call attention to what what happened to Massa and what's happening to people in Iran every day. It's my understanding that people are still being executed every day by the so-called morality police for uh, not wearing headscarves, for speaking up, for simply just existing in this in this regime. Yeah. Um, so as far as I think what you said at the very beginning, like with um, so Masa Amini, she was um, she was visiting Tehran. She lived in another region of of Iran and she was visiting with her family. She it wasn't that she wasn't wearing the hijab. She actually had the head cover, headscarf. Uh, I guess she had a little bit of hair showing, which is which is typical. A lot of women do that, or or maybe that her pants were not long enough, or something like that. So there's a lot of ridiculous dress code requirements, and so they found whatever reason they stopped her, and yeah, they detained her, and then they actually beat her, beat her to death into a coma, and she died. So that was was a big controversy because at first the governments obviously denied it, and. Um, but it was proven that, uh, you know, not in the courts, but it was proven there was clear evidence. Everyone was the doctor that treated her, people that witnessed it, uh, that she was beaten uh, to death. And so, um, so yeah, so in Iran, this has always been an issue since the start of the Islamic uh, Revolution, which was in 1979. Um, and um, so there's strict dress code in place. And yes, the morality police, they come and... Um, They'll harass and they'll detain people. They'll take them to these centers where Masa Amini was uh, sent. Supposedly, is like a like a training facility where they where they teach women how to follow the dress code or whatever, right? Um, and uh, so, yeah, that's still going on. We've seen this. I mean, there's always acts of defiance. There's always people that are um, are protesting against it. I mean, it happened. Uh, there's there's many many cases that's happened over the past forty four years. Um, but in the past year, for sure, it's been uh, another big uprising, uh, uh, amplification of this uh, this energy, this this uh, you know this uh, this oppressiveness that people are are being weighed down, and like eventually, it's like you know they they say that the ashes, it's the ashes, like the the fire is still burning below the ashes. You know that's what they always refer to with all these uprisings is that you know the fire is maybe look like it's out, but it continues to you know there's still it's still glowing and it's still you know people are heated and they're um, they're tired of it and they, they want change you know so yeah i think that's something that 
is important to recognize that this revolution has been ongoing for decades. Yeah. And that it, it, that there was a different um, political system in place. Uh, it's only been 44 years that the is- Islamic regime has been um, putting these laws in order, been oppressing people in this specific way, and specifically women with what they're allowed to wear and not allowed to wear and how they show up. And um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what uh, the political landscape was in Iran before this regime took over and uh, touch on the history of Islam in the country. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> by no means am I an expert on any of this because, uh, you know, my my knowledge of, of uh, some of the history is only like fairly recent that I've been learning more. But, uh, but you know, like the prior to the Islamic um, revolution uh, was uh, the monarchy, which is the Pahlavi dynasty. There'd been, there'd been previous dynasties before the Pahlavi dynasty, which is like the Qajar was right before. But the Pahlavi dynasty started, um, I want to say like around World War I, uh, when uh, Reza Shah, or Reza Khan at the time became Reza Shah, he took over and went to the, uh, started the Pahlavi dynasty. He um, obviously there was a lot of influence from other countries and um, occupation from by by uh, the UK and and uh, Russia and and then later US and um, but so Reza Reza Shah was in power leading into 1953, uh, which was uh, the rise of Mossadegh, which was um, he was a popular figure, uh, heavily involved in politics in his early years. He went away for a while, came back, and and this was the uh, Iran going towards nationalization of uh, their resources, mainly primarily oil, and uh, that obviously was not a um, was not going to help the UK and other uh, people that had their uh, you know their invested in in Iran. So what happened was the CIA ran their first the first ever CIA coup to overthrow a government. So the US had previously overthrown governments, but this was the first time that the CIA CIA was established right after World War II. So this was their first actual act of overthrowing a government. And so uh, they overthrew, uh, they got rid of Mossadegh, and that was Iran's real opportunity of d- democracy, you know, secular democracy, which is what they're asking for still to this day. Um, so following Mossadegh and that uh, that coup came Reza Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, who was the son of Reza Shah. He came into power, and uh, he led uh, ruled the country until. Um, uh, the end of the 70s when the Islamic Revolution took place. But, uh, but you know, the time during the, the monarchy, the Pahlavi dynasty, was a time of uh, modernity. A lot of people refer to Reza Shah as being someone who, um, you know, he, he invested in things like the railroads and uh, building steel factories and, and getting uh, expertise from the other parts of the world. Um, and so, so, yeah, there was a place where people would vacation from other countries, very European, very modern. Um, you know, there was no strict dress code on, on what women should wear. Uh, it was uh, fairly more, I guess you could say, more liberal than, than uh, what is being, um, what's in place right now in Iran. Right. So even though it was a monarchy, it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't oppressive. It wasn't suffocating. People were enjoying life and having access to the things you need to thrive. Yeah. So again, that's, that's maybe, um, I wouldn't go as far to say that everybody was, you know, happy go lucky, you know, I think, uh, and again, I never lived there, but, um, 
my parents, um, my mom especially, has very good memories of growing up in Iran at that time. Um, you know, there were definitely other groups, minority groups. I mean, the Kurdish people have always been oppressed. Um, and they never had their say or, or, or been a part of the government, uh, you know, in, in their decision making. So, so yeah, there were definitely some areas. And, and, the, and the Shah, who, you know, was very modern and everything, was still pretty ruthless towards anyone that, uh, you know, anybody basically that would mess with his rule, you know. Um, so, so if there was any kind of forces from like Kurdish um, uh, freedom fighters or like nationalists that wanted to separate for Sam, not separate, but like, you know, have, have more power. Um, yeah. The Shah would act towards that too. And, and they're, you know, I guess the Baha'is as well as a minority faith, you know, there's, there's been stories for sure. It, it's really like, I mean, it's politics. And so it wasn't um, totally perfect. Let's put it that way. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, like generally, especially when you look at kind of current times in Iran, a lot of people look back and say, wow, you know, that was actually much better uh, scenario than, than what they have now. Yeah, absolutely. As you're talking, it made me think about living in Canada today, and I'm not comparing the two. I'm just saying like, there it's, there's, even when we have access and privilege and, and so many abilities, there's still horrible things going on and people being oppressed. And, um, you know, there's always so many dynamics at play. Nowhere in the world has anyone, at least in recent, in, in modern memory. Um, yeah. You're not going to have a perfect system. You're not going to have someone that uh, exactly that, uh, that treats everybody, and not everyone's going to be happy with with the ruler, you know, and who's in charge yeah. for sure. And the decision being made, yeah, yeah. Sure. But something something has changed. Something changed dramatically in Iran 44 years ago. Like there's a long history of of it sounds like upheaval and ongoing political dynamics. And you were saying to me before we started recording about the Islamic. Uh, religion coming in about 1700 years ago. And, and so having a very, very long history in that country, but the country having um, its own religion and its own culture and its own um, empire predating all of that. So there's just so much, it's, there's such a trajectory to where it is today or where it's been in the last half century that is so dramatically different from the rest of its history. Yeah. Especially, I mean, when you compare it to compare a country like Canada, I mean, First Nations people obviously have been here for much longer, um, but um, you know, in in Iran, there's been yeah, there's been rulers and people trying to occupy and and just like it's it's wild how much history there is and and uh, all the events that have taken place, you know, to get to where we are. So it's it's good. I mean, for me, I love I love to learn about history. I'm fascinated by it, and so to learn more about you know the area where you know my ancestors are from, kind of thing, is uh, is even more you know, satisfying kind of thing, I guess you could say. And, and it, and it helps to paint the picture um, of what's, um, what's taking place. Cause I never had any formal education about the history in Iran. My friends that I've gotten to know people that come out to the protests and stuff, they all grew up in Iran. So they have like a, a, a real strong knowledge for these things because a lot of that stuff has been uh, taught to them growing up and, and it's just kind of around them, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I'll just touch on this briefly because uh, sometimes on this podcast, we talk about alchemy and it's through my studies of alchemy that I've learned about Zoroastrianism and been very curious to um, learn more of that. Um, I've just started reading the, this book in search of Zarathustra 
And it, it talks about how Nietzsche discovered um, his teachings and then kind of through his perspective, then put them out into the world. So a lot of people through philosophy know these ideas of like God is dead um, based on what Nietzsche's interpretation. But below that, you know, that was his ability to tap into that. And then there's such this this beautiful, these beautiful, simplistic teachings um, that uh, also look at the constructs of good and evil. And I'm getting away from myself now, but yeah, I wanted yeah. to, to bring that up because it's, it's so interesting, yeah. Yeah. especially in the context of the regime, which is so oppressive. And, you know, they, they're going after people on the thing. It's enmity against God. They're, they're saying that, you know, you're these protesters, are the devil, like uh, uh, women who don't cover their heads are devil, you know? And yeah. so it's so baked into, it's just so interesting the traject like the experience in the country and and these these ideologies that that grow and shape and form and then become laws and rules that then uh, harm people and kill people. Oh yeah, and and uh, you know, this is another thing that I've learned more and more um, through talking to people and just kind of doing my own research is like the Islamic, um, you know, the people in charge right now. They've been instilling this fear. There's always been this thing about like, you know, death to America, death to anyone that's against us kind of thing. And they, they've they been doing this in like mosques, you know, people go for prayer. It's like, it's drilled into people's minds. This, this like fear, always be on guard, fearful, fearful, fearful. And it's, you know, that's going to mess with the population over time, you know? And so, so much trauma and so much heavy fear. And then speaking of fear, the other thing kind of to bring it back to what we've been seeing with these protests and everything uh, inside of Iran, these people have reached this point and it's Gen Z, you know, like they say, a lot of the younger generation, um, generally speaking, I think that's kind of where you'll see people coming out and rising up is, is like the younger generation that is, is uh, I guess you could argue they're maybe they're more naive in a way, but you need to have some of that naivety to actually make some change happen or believe, you know, believe that some change can happen. Cause you know, as we get older, we become more cynical and you know, the system and all this kind of thing. Right. But, um, but what we're seeing is that people are reaching the point where like, you know, this, this threshold of fear is being surpassed and they're like, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to go out in the streets and I'm, there's a good chance that I'm going to get shot and killed. You know, they're shooting, shooting kids in the eyes, in the genitals that, you know, this is what they're doing. So a lot of, there've been lots of kids they went blind, you know, in one of their eyes uh, from this. But, like, they're going out there literally risking their lives. You know, this is peaceful protest. This is coming out, voicing their concerns. And uh, they, yeah, they've reached this, this fear threshold, which is scary for the regime. Because, you know, if the regime feels like they have control of everybody, that's great. But once they see that people are not scared of them anymore, that's when, that's when shit gets real, you know? That's when, that's when, like, yeah, and that's what we've been seeing. So... Yeah. Anyway, it's kind of like talking like about that. It does give me some hope. You know, obviously there's been a lot of deaths and a lot of um, uh, people that have been detained. And um, but uh, but the regime knows that this this is a problem for them. They, that um, you know needs to be you know addressed if they want to hold on to power. And that's you know that's what they're doing. They're they're using force. So they're using force in the country and and outside of the country. You're just telling me about an organization in London. That had to move to LA because they were advocating against the regime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, it wasn't that they were advocating against the regime, but they, they're so 
inside Iran, uh, the news, the news that we get, they don't allow foreign um, um, uh, reporters inside of Iran. So this is kind of the thing. So everything is controlled by the regime. That propaganda is being sent out through their news agencies. The only outdoor uh, uh, news sources outside of Iran that report on Iran, they're owned by foreign uh, other governments. So like Iran International is this one you were talking about. They have a base in the UK. Um, they do reporting that, you know, it may be slightly biased, but it's like it's reporting that's not coming from the regime directly. So they'll they'll find other sources, people inside the country that report to them or have other ways. And so, yeah, they, you know, the thing is the regime has its tentacles all around the world. And uh, there's, there's all these different cases of, uh, you know, these spies, these people that are out looking out for the regime and, and causing trouble or being hired to threaten people, what have you, you know, uh, abducting people, all that kind of thing. So yeah, this news agency, they ended up moving locations because um, I think their staff are getting too many threats likely. Um, there's another woman named Masi Alinejad, and she's, um, you know, she has been very outspoken against the regime. She lives in New York. Um, you know, there's people have their own viewpoints of who she is or what she's up to and all that kind of thing. But, but she's been very vocal. And she, there was a, the FBI got involved. There were three Eastern European guys that have ties to the Islamic um, Republic, and that were trying to basically take a hit on her. They were gonna, they were gonna shoot her, kill her in broad daylight. And so the FBI captured those guys. So, so these guys are all over the place and um, yeah. And it ties back to that whole thing about fear. Like, uh, you know, I know people that have left Iran have been here for many years, but people don't talk about certain things in the community because there's this fear that, you, you know, lack of trust. You don't know who's listening. You don't know, you know, it's the whole thing about big brother, you know, like it's, it's a real thing. And it's, and I didn't, I haven't realized it until more recently in the past year or so that, how widespread it is in our community and how that, that fear and that trauma exists. So, yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And I, it makes me think of the infighting I've seen in, in organizations and communities fighting for liberation and how we're all in survival mode and, you know, responding and it's how, how difficult it is to, to trust, I think, really, is that people are struggling with trust because they've been, you know, inundated. Their whole lives have been on, on, on edge in a way yeah. because either they've grown up in these spaces where they're violently oppressed or they're subtly oppressed in like we all are in, in this modern paradigm of separation and, uh, you know, having to achieve the cost of living and so on. Um, but it's it's so powerful to know that there's so many people out there fighting with 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 full abandon we i can't know what that's like here in canada because when i go out like i it's it's fairly people can risk going out here and protesting without thinking that they might be shot that would be very very unlikely here whereas there people are going they have nothing left to lose and um, the videos that are coming out are, are, are mind opening, heart opening, because, you know, what power there is there in people who are just n- not backing down. And it seems clear that, you know, th- something is changing. I know you've been asked a lot what's happened in the past year, what's changed. And it's hard to answer because 
the oppressive regime is still in place and what's the clear pathway forward, but people are continuing to fight and rise up and it's, it's growing. The movement is growing. Yeah, it is. And, um, you know, like when you're talking about this whole thing about fear and people uh, risking their lives, like, I don't know. I think, I think about this a lot because a lot of the people, like I was born and raised here. I've never been to Iran. So a lot of people that I've met that are generally, you know, fairly recently moved from Iran or, you know, uh, you know, grew up in Iran most of their lives. Uh, I can't help but think like I, you know, I'm born in 1984. That would have been during the time of the regime. I would have been born into this. I could have been one of those students that were shot down, you know, like in 2009, I guess, during the Green Revolution, for example. That was one of the times, big uprising. I could easily, I was in university, just finished the university around that time. So I could easily been one of those kids, you know, wrong place at the wrong time or whatever um, that was gunned down, you know? So, um, so I definitely think about that and, and, you know, you count your blessings every day and all that kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, you know, the, it's continuing. Like I was saying before, it's, um, uh, you know, like the, the fire is still burning below the ashes. Like it's, 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 uh, it seems like things have kind of quieted down, but there are, there will be, you know, um, more uprisings, more significant than the last, you know, and, and I do feel like this last one was quite significant. It got a lot more attention uh, worldwide, I believe. And, uh, and I also, and again, I don't know, this is totally my perception, but I feel like more people in the diaspora have gotten involved or, or become more aware. I think there's, and I think that's also credit to the younger generation. You know, I feel like the younger generation is, uh, has this, uh, uh, different level of self-awareness, you know, and, and, uh, are kind of like looking out for these types of issues that are taking place. And, and so, um, yeah, it seems like more people have, have been educating themselves and, and that, that message has been spreading and, and yeah, that's going to help. I mean, we're still getting a lot of lip service from, um, you know, governments, foreign governments, you know, when we, when we ask, you know, the demands uh, have been stop doing business with the Islamic Republic, basically like stop making deals like this nuclear deal, you know, if they got nuclear power, they're going to use it. Like, it's like kind of, if you make deals with them and, and relieve sanctions, yes, uh, the idea is that it's going to help the people in the country get more access to resources and things. But the fact is that the Islamic Republic does not give a shit about the people in Iran and are not supporting the people in Iran. So that's just kind of filling their pockets um, as a result. So, you know, putting them on the, on the terrorist list, you know, we've been asking about this for years and you know there's just excuses and 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 you know it's just it's just the same old kind of thing unfortunately from from uh you know western governments i'd say um but uh you know all their all the people want is to get rid of this regime and for iran to be able to run its own secular democracy that's kind of the the main message they should be able to govern themselves they've got they've got tens of thousands of prisoners political prisoners right now in jail inside iran they have brilliant minds. These are brilliant people that are that are doing work from inside the inside prisons, um, and and then also people in the diaspora that are just waiting for an opportunity to go home, you know, and to to run their own government. You know, this is kind of the thing. It's like Iran's never been given the opportunity to to rule itself, and um, and so so yeah, so that's kind of what we're still pushing for, and and I hope to go visit Iran. Uh, I will go at one point, you know, uh, ideally that's going to be when the regime has fallen, which, uh, uh, which would be a, like a great time to go and celebrate, you know?
Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Thank you. Um, we'll share some uh, links in the bio for places people can follow and stay up to date with what's going on so they can continue to be engaged. What I'm hearing is no business with terrorists. You know, they are terrorists and there should be no business done with them and that our governments need to be firm with that. Um, and beyond that, is there, if you know, for people to hold that awareness, I think is important to recognize that the Islamic Republic needs to be dealt with in a matter, um, an immediate matter of seriousness. Um, is there anything else that people you want them to know or advocate for any action steps they can take? Yeah, I think the main the main thing would be to you know educate yourself on on what's happening. I can send you some kind of book links. Um, there's a couple of podcasts that I could recommend to you. You know, just try to learn a little bit more about what's uh, what's taking place. Uh, ask your friends if you have any Iranian friends. Ask them if if they know some updates. But uh, yeah, I think when people kind of understand the issues and have more awareness around that, um, I think they will realize that that's not like a reality that anybody should live, you know? And this is kind of what I keep going back to is when I, when I see these stories, um, there's so many stories of how ruthless and brutal this regime is. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, how could this, how can somebody be living in this situation? And I, and I understand this is like, you know, the world is a, there's a lot of suffering in the world and, and a lot of countries, a lot of places where people are suffering. And so, you know, that empathy, I think when people have more awareness and understanding, they'll have more empathy and yeah, you know, we have we have the ability to to speak out. We can we can contact and harass our politicians to you know to kind of help change some of these uh, viewpoints that are currently held in the government. I mean, we follow the U.S. In fact, unfortunately, Canadians, you know, like the gov- government just does whatever the U.S. does, and um, so it's 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 it's, it's difficult. But um, the more people that we have pushing for change, the uh, you know better chance we have at, at actually seeing it. So yeah. Right on. Wow. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. Thank you. Thanks. See ya.